0: So, as Pastor Joel just said, we are jumping back in this morning to this series called The Book of James. Now, the interesting thing is, it's not a book. He just said a few minutes ago, it's a letter. It's a letter that James wrote um, to people who were spread out. Really, they were refugees or immigrants because they had been pushed out of their home by a, a, a Roman emperor. Who, Nero, who was quite ruthless if you read much about history, and so James is writing a letter to them basically saying, hey, here's what matters in life, here's what's important, here's what you have to remember when you're going through really, really tough times. And so if you've got your Bible or your phone and you've got the Bible app, get, find your way to James, the book of James in the New Testament, chapter 2, is where we're going to be today. Now, uh, if you remember, if you've been here for any part of this series, this is week three. We've been telling you uh, these things. One, James was written by James, right? Are you with me? Shake your head, yes. But who was James? Do you remember? He's the brother of Jesus, yes, the little brother of Jesus, and um, and he wrote this letter. He he later became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And so he's writing this letter um, during this time to the people I just told you about. And we've learned so far that one, the first thing he reminds them of is during times of suffering and difficulty and trial, you can trust that God can use that for your good. Now that's hard to remember when those things hit. But that's what we talked about last week. Pastor Joel shared that last week. James also says in chapter 1, he tells us that believing in Jesus should change the way we live. It shouldn't just be something in our head, that it be it should be something we do with our hands and our feet. That believing Jesus in our heart and in our mind, believing in Jesus means it changes the way we talk, walk, treat other people, the way we 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 treat our spouses, the way we work, it changes it it ought to change everything about us. And if it doesn't, then we have to question, do I really believe? in Jesus. All right. So now today we're coming to week 3. We're going to be in chapter 2. And so we're going to be talking about something I'm not going to let it out of the bag yet, but but here's what I want to tell you. I want to tell you a little story first. Um so I have some friends who recently um a couple of years ago they decided to rent a little apartment in an old house in downtown Charleston. Now, That sounds like a really cool thing. Like if I didn't have kids right now, that would be totally something we could do. We just would not be able to afford it. But I would love to live in a little apartment in downtown Charleston. And they did. This was an old house, and they were like on the third floor, and they were in this little apartment. And one day they had to call, Now it was a really old house, and they had to call the landlord to come and fix something. And so the landlord sent a repair guy, a handyman, over to their house. And when the handyman showed up to fix something, my friend said he looked a lot like Bill Murray. Now, do you guys know who Bill Murray is? All right, so we're all on the same page. If you live in Charleston, you kind of know who Bill Murray is. So go to a River Dogs game. All right, so so here's the thing. He She says something. My friend said something to the handyman, something like this. "You Has anybody ever told you you look a lot like Bill Murray? Well, the handyman says back to her, Something really strange. He didn't like, he he didn't engage her in conversation. He just says, I'm a lot more handsome than he is. And then he goes on and does the repair. And she's just like, well, that was a little odd. And he didn't say anything else. And he left. Um, And so we were there a couple nights later, and she's telling us this story. And we're like, well, what was his name? And she goes, I don't know, but he left his card. And so she goes over and pulls his card out of the drawer and gives it to us. And on the card, it said either Joel or John Murray. I can't remember the first name, but the last name I remember. Right? And I said, his last name is Murray. That's kind of a crazy coincidence. And then I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So I, like Google, Joel or John Murray, whatever the name was, and he happens to be the brother of Bill Murray, and he lives in downtown Charleston, and he does property management and maintenance, and he's been in some movies and TV shows. Now, you're going to look that up in a minute, aren't you? So here's the thing. Here's what I want you to get, though. The interesting thing is that my friend said to me, she, she said, I, I looked up his picture and showed it to her, and she goes, that's him. And, and then she says a curious comment. Now, it's something we would all probably say. But she said, I wish I had known. I would have talked to him more. Now, think about that for a second. One minute, he was just a handyman. Nameless, doesn't matter who he is. The next minute, he's Bill Murray's brother, and all of a sudden, it matters. Why? 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 Why in life do we avoid some people because we just don't really care that much and we really appreciate or attracted to others? You see, you and I may not think we treat people differently, but we do we all treat people some people as more important or less important than others people in our lives listen and i know we don't want to admit this about ourselves but some people have more value to us than other people do it's just a part of human nature it's a part of who we are and and, and we're just like that and in a minute james when we read this he's going to address that about us it's a problem And when we begin to follow Jesus or believe in Jesus, that ought to change in us. Um, Right after the World Trade Center attacks in 2001, I was getting on a plane. And many of you probably experienced this same thing. I was getting on a plane to fly somewhere, and that event changed a lot of the landscape of my world at the time when 9-11 happened. And when I got on this plane, I sat down, I was getting my luggage situated, and I was I was sitting down and all of a sudden two Middle Eastern guys um, got on the plane behind me. And the interesting thing about it is that it probably happened to me many times before. But in that moment, I felt anxiety. Like I looked at them and I felt something inside of me a little bit panicked. And I watched them and everybody on the plane was watching these guys. And, and, and everything they did looked suspicious to me. Did this happen to any of you guys? Like, And I hate to admit it about me, but like, like I just for a moment, I, I watched it. And really, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the whole flight, I paid attention to them. Why? You see, I don't want to be prejudiced toward people who are different from me, but, but I have to admit to you something. I think I am, and I think you are too now, I know that we don't want to be that way, and I don't want to consider some people as more valuable or interesting than others I don't want to look down on certain people but but I do i'm preconditioned that way, and I don't like it, and it's one thing about believing and following Jesus that ought to change and be redeemed in me now here's I just want to give you a definition for prejudice for just a second. You, you already know what this means, and, and you and I would probably say to most people, we're not prejudiced, but, but I'm just saying you, you might be. And so here's what prejudice means. It's just an opinion or judgment based on preconceived notions and assumptions rather than knowledge and understanding of the truth. There is a lot of ignorance in me. There's a lot of things I don't know, and therefore, because I don't know it, I have to guess, I have to assume, or I, I do assume. And there are a lot of things I'm preconce- I am have preconceived notions about because I was raised that way or I've never been around these kinds of people or I've heard this or seen this on the news or, or, or I see someone who's from the Middle East and I match them up, the same skin color and maybe religion and ethnicity of this person who bombed this building and somehow I put them together in my mind. Why? Because there's a level of ignorance and, and my mind just goes there, right? Why do I do that? Because there's a level of prejudice in all of us. There really is. It can can be about differences in lifestyle or economic bracket or culture or language or skin color or religion or personality or sexuality or age or weight. We all have opinions about what's attractive or valuable or superior or ideal or desirable. And then we look down or feel a little uncomfortable around people who don't measure up to our standard. Now here's the thing. We may not outwardly hate them. That's not what I'm saying. Just quietly we avoid them. Look at James chapter 2, verse 1. James says, my brothers, in other words, my fellow followers of Jesus, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He's saying there ought to be something different about us. I know it's human nature, and I know we all have preconceived notions and prejudices, but James says... When you begin to believe and follow Jesus, you don't show partiality anymore to anyone. If you're going to hold to faith in Jesus, he says. The first thing we learn from this very first verse of this chapter, of this letter of James, is this, that believing in Jesus should change how we view other people. It just should change how we view other people. When we hold on to Jesus, listen, when you choose to become a Christian and you believe in Jesus and you give your life to Him and you begin to follow Him, you begin to see people the way Jesus sees people if your eyes are on Jesus, if you're following Jesus. Their value and their worth is not based on their benefit to you anymore or to me anymore. Their value and their worth is based on what God says about them and how God sees them. Not what is their value to me, but what is their value to God? Believing in Jesus helps us begin to see other people the way Jesus sees them. It ought to. And here's the interesting thing. If, if Jesus says that He would leave the 99 to go after the lost one, then we ought to as well, right? If, if God so loves the world that He gave His only Son, then we ought to love the world too if we love God. Look at what James says in in verse 2 of chapter 2. James says this, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, now he uses his own illustration here, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down on the floor at my feet, have you not made have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You see, James gives this scenario. Suppose two different people, one's rich, one's poor, it's quite obvious to you, and they come in. Now you're not going to hate the poor person, but you just are going to treat the rich person with a little more honor. James says, "What if you if you do that, what does it say about you?" He he says, "If it says, have you not made distinctions among people? Have you not treated some people more valuable than others?" And then he says this at the very end. Are are you not then a judge that's motivated by evil thoughts? See, I, I think what James is trying to teach us is the second thing that I want us to know is not only should believing in Jesus change our view of other people, but how we treat other people reveals what we believe. It, it really does. Now, now, I, I just want to—I I may step on some toes here—but throughout our history, throughout our history, and I'm talking about our American history um, as Americans. People sometimes, um, well, not just American history, but world history as we know it right now in the world we live in. in, in the last several hundred years, people have genuinely believed that certain people or groups of people have no worth or value. Native Americans were considered savages. Look up what that means. They were considered savages who had no right to land or home here. Jewish people in Nazi Germany were genuinely considered impure and polluted, a polluted race of people. People with mental handicaps or disabilities in our history not so long ago were considered cursed or disgraced and should be hidden from sight. Black people in American history were considered inferior, inhuman, and the property of other people three-fifths of a person. Unborn babies in our time are considered inconvenient and problematic. And all of that is in the last 300 years of our existence. How can we ever, listen, how can we ever believe that any other human life is less important or valuable than my own life? How can people believe such a thing? Listen, we're not so far from that. Our minds are depraved. The young white man who walked into Emanuel AME Church downtown Charleston just a few years ago genuinely believed in his heart he was doing a good thing. How can we believe such a thing? You see, prejudice is a powerly, powerfully destructive thing. Powerfully. You see, it destroys us first, and then it destroys other people. Look at verse 5. James says, listen, my beloved brothers. He's telling us again, listen to me. And he calls us his brothers and sisters again. Listen to me, he says. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Now he's going back to his illustration about the poor and the rich man for a second. So stay with me. He says, has God not chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor man. In the illustration he, he used, he said, but we would make distinctions, make the poor guy sit in the corner or on the floor. He says, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, l- let me explain what he's saying here for a second. The, the third thing James is teaching us is this, is that sometimes our beliefs are wrong. Right? So, so are, you, are you with me so far that believing in Jesus should change how we view other people? Sometimes how we treat other people shows or reveals what we believe. And sometimes our beliefs are just incorrect. They're just misguided. They're just backwards. And whatever we believe, it shapes how we act. Right? Sometimes our beliefs are wrong. Our perspective a lot of times in the world is, is, is upside down. For, for example... Let's use James' illustration a minute about wealth and, and, and poverty, uh, riches and being poor. What, what if, so so in our world, I bet you and I, we, we probably agree on this, we often see wealth as an honor, don't we? In, in fact, we see it as a, as a privilege, a blessing, a reward. I mean, there are whole churches and denominations of churches that, that say that if you have faith in God, that He will prosper you with riches, Okay, because we see that as something good, something to celebrate. It's a comfort. It's a blessing, oftentimes. But James is saying, "What if the opposite is true?" I mean, what if the opposite is true? What? Should, what if poverty somehow is a better leader into the kingdom of God than wealth? Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than a. Are you with me? So, what if we've got this backwards? What if we're chasing something that doesn't get us closer to God? In fact, what he's really saying here is that what if you could learn more from the poor man than you could from the rich man? And you honored the rich man and you dishonored the poor man because you thought one was more valuable than the other and you were backwards. That's what he's saying here. What if the poor man actually is more valuable to you than the rich man is? many centuries ago the um, the ancient philosopher aristotle made the claim that a heavier object would fall faster than a lighter one now for you science people you know that's that just lowered your view of aristotle a little bit didn't it now here's the thing though aristotle was a very high standing guy very a brilliant mind and his reputation was world-renowned, and it was easily accepted and believed, along with all his other teachings, that that must be true. Did you know not until almost 2,000 years later did someone really, really attempt on a large scale to prove him wrong? In 1589, a guy named Galileo was trying to assert that two objects of roughly the same size would fall at the same speed, no matter what the weight But no one believed him. So he climbed to the top of the Tower of Pisa and he dropped a 10-pound weight and a 1-pound weight of roughly the same size and they both landed at the same time. Although he proved his point, do you know that for hundreds of years after that, people still believed that Aristotle was right and Galileo was wrong? Why? Because people believe what they want to believe. Even if it's wrong. Sometimes when we've been raised to see things a certain way, it's hard to see it another way. Sometimes when you only watch one news channel, it's hard to see another perspective, isn't it? Sometimes when you've never been around those kinds of people, It's a little uncomfortable when you're around those kinds of people, isn't it? We all grow up with limited knowledge and certain misunderstandings and misconceptions about people, and that's understandable, but it's not understandable for a follower of Jesus to stay there. Unfortunately, sometimes we allow beliefs that we had to be truth and not be changed by the truth of God that ought to change what we believe. Prejudices sometimes are hard to overcome. I'm going to give you a few things here that I think are are key to overcoming prejudices or faulty beliefs in our own life. So misconceptions, misguided beliefs. How do we overcome that? How, How do we overcome it? Well, here's the thing. Prejudice is always overcome by believing the truth. Believing what's true. Prejudice is overcome by believing what's true. Listen, I'll tell you this in our world. Prejudice is not really overcome by laws, or or by removing statues, or by just trying to be more tolerant. Like, all those things may may be okay, but prejudice is not really overcome until we believe what's true and right, until we overcome our ignorance by inserting the truth. Now, look at what James says in verse 8. He says this, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. Now listen for just a second. What James is saying here is that when you decide that the truth of God's Word, the Scripture, that you're going to stake your life on that, not just believe it, but you're going to do it. Did you see what he said? When you decide to fulfill the Scripture... When you decide what God says is right, and I'm going to do that and live by it and obey it, and and he points one of the Scriptures out, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, then you're doing well. In other words, here's what James is saying. The truth that helps you overcome your prejudice in this case is the truth of God's Word. Where else are you and I going to get truth from? Seriously. In a world that says whatever your truth can be your truth and whatever my truth is my truth, that's a bogus. That doesn't make any sense to me. What is the source of truth? There's only one source of truth. And God's Word is real clear about this. In fact, James says, what God's Word says is that your neighbor ought to matter to you, ought to be valuable. Now here's the interesting thing. Um... What he's quoting there is a verse that Jesus actually said, right? And actually, Jesus didn't say it first; it was said in the Old Testament. It's been said throughout the Bible. And one guy asked Jesus one day, um, "What's the greatest commandment? Like, what's the most important thing in all the prophets and the law?" And what did Jesus say? He said, "You should love your Lord, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself." Right. And on one of those occasions, Jesus tells a story about a good Samaritan, and you can read that whole story about what Jesus says. But on that occasion, the guy looks at him. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, this religious dude looks at Jesus and says, well, who is my neighbor? And if I were Jesus at that point, which I'm not, I would have looked back at him and said, who's not your neighbor? Like, that's a stupid question. You know why I ask the question, right? If I have to love my neighbor as myself, right, so so then who do I have to love and who do I get a pass on? Well, that's stupid. Sorry, that's not a word we use in my house. But Who is my neighbor? Well, guys, who's not your neighbor? You know, it's interesting. We like to choose our neighbors, don't we? We like to choose neighbors who think like us, look like us, act like us, that our kids can be around. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says this. Look at, in John 8, you don't have to turn there. We'll put it on the screen. But in John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus says this. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, now pay attention to that. He says, if you abide in my word, James has just said the source of truth has to be the word of God, the scripture. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, ignorance leads to slavery, but truth sets you free. And what Jesus says, I want you to pay attention. It says, Jesus said to the people who believed him, you see that? to the people who had believed Him. In other words, if you believe in Me, then I want you to abide in My Word. And if you abide in My Word, if you listen to what God says, and you trust it, and you obey it, and you fulfill it, just like James says, then you're going to know the truth, and the truth is going to set you free. If you and I want to know what the truth is, and we want to be set free from our prejudices, and our ignorance, the Word of God is the key. Look at what God's Word says on another occasion. John writes this in 1 John 4.20. He writes this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Listen, Christians, let me just tell you something that I'm telling myself and all of us together. If we condemn, look down on, avoid, Anyone else? Listen, you can't love God and do that. You just can't. Um, So I'm going to step on your toes a little bit more here for a second. I know immigration is a huge topic in our lives these days, and I understand it's a complicated one. So I'm I'm not making light of it at all. I don't think there's simple answers all the time. But there are over 40 verses that I just looked up this past week in the in the Bible specifically about the immigrant and about how what we ought to do and how they ought to be treated. Now, I'm not a Congress person. I don't serve in the government, so I don't, I don't know how all the law should exist. But I do know from what the Bible says how Christians ought to see and treat people who are refugees, immigrants, and foreigners in our land, because the Bible's clear about that. Over And over and over. I just want to read one verse in the law of the Old Testament. It says this, this was always God's heart, always God's heart and still is. It says, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying you were immigrants once. You lived somewhere you didn't belong one time. So remember that. So when you treat other people who don't look like you. Not only did God say that, but you know what He said? To the foreigner or the alien or the immigrant, allow them to glean the leftovers from your field without charging them anything and don't ask them to get out. I'm just saying, God says a lot about how we ought to treat other people. Even when it's risky, even when it's uncomfortable, even when they're not like us. In our society, listen, we've come a long way in racial prejudice. We really have. But, but I think it's it's it still pops up a lot, especially here in the South, doesn't it? But, but I think a lot of us in this room would say, I, I hope that we would all say that we really, really don't want to be racially prejudiced, that, that we've tried to... to to come a long way from that. But you know what's interesting to me is we often find ways to dislike or malign people that we see as bad or less than ideal. Now, I'm just going to name some of these folks in my life that I find it legitimate for me often to, to look down on these people, like prostitutes or fraudulent businessmen that are caught cheating or rob money from our school district. Sex offenders, drug addicts, drug dealers, men who abuse their wives or run out on their children, religious fanatics, terrorists, and others who hate, groups like the KKK, people who are supremacist in some way. It seems to be okay in our minds that because those people are hateful and awful that we don't have to like them. You see, I, I just think, you guys, Jesus never did that. Now, it doesn't underestimate their sin, but see, this is the very thing that that Jesus was charged with. Jesus seemed to become friends with prostitutes and corrupt businessmen. They were some of His first disciples. He associated with outcasts and touched lepers and took time for the mentally deranged, even when His disciple says, you can move on. Jesus saw everyone as amazing creation of God with the very marker image of God. And even in His day, people did not understand that. Some people thought He was dishonoring God or condoning their vile behavior. But people were simply showing us who God is. He's a God who loves people that are unloved. He's a God who's willing to stand with people that nobody else is willing to stand with. When you decide to obey and follow Jesus and trust with what He says, Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, look at verse 9 in James chapter 2. Are you feeling offended at all yet? Alright, James chapter chapter 2 verse 9 says this. It says, But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convinced by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. In other words, listen, did you catch that? What James is saying is this, is that the way to overcome prejudice is not just to believe the truth of God's Word, but it's also to believe the truth about you, about me, the truth about yourself. James says is the truth is, is that you're no better than anyone else. How dare you And I think that, that you're no better than the prostitute or the sex offender or the terrorist. And I know you could sit down and say, but I am. But you're not. The Bible says you're not. You're all lawbreakers. And if you've broken one, you've broken them all. How dare we convince ourselves that somehow we're just a little better? That's not how God says it or sees it. Sometimes we just have to come face to face with the truth of ourselves. You know, the real reason we sometimes look down on other people or put down on other people is because we're just trying to feel a little better about ourselves. But it doesn't work. It's deception. You can always find somebody who's worse than you, I promise. We are no different than anybody else. That's what James is trying to say. Look look at verse 12. He says this, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now, you may read that and go, what, is, what does that mean? What is he saying? All he's saying there is this, do you want to be judged the same way you judge other people? Are, are you with me? you still with me? He's saying, do you want to be judged the same way you judge other people? You see, I think what sets us free from our misconceptions and our prejudices is this, the truth of God's Word, the truth about ourselves, and the truth about other people. Let me tell you a little story. So um, years ago, so my kids are older now, but years ago, before we had kids, Susan and I were newly married, and we were in the grocery store one day. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, We were walking down the grocery store, and I heard this kid screaming in the aisle of the grocery store. I heard him screaming, and then I got closer and I saw it was two kids. One was in the buggy, one was making circles around the buggy, knocking things off the shelves. You ever had this moment, parents? So, so anyway, I didn't have kids at the moment, and I remember Susan and I saw this mom and her two kids, and they were crazy. Like, crazy. I mean, one kid was screaming, one kid was running, and I remember saying to Susan, I can't believe that mom is letting her kids act like that. (sighs) (sighs) Yeah, years later, several kids later, I remember being in Target one day. Now, I didn't do a lot of shopping with the kids. My wife, my wonderful wife, did all that. But that day, I happened to be with both of my boys. My daughter had not been born yet, and I was with both boys, and um, we were in Target, and I had to get a few things, and they were tired, and it wasn't going well, and all of a sudden, Wilson, who was in the back of the shopping cart, hit Eli, who's sitting in the little seat of the shopping cart, and Eli starts crying loudly, who's our dramatic kid, and he just starts, he just starts wailing loudly, as if to get my attention, to say, my brother just hit me, and so he's just screaming loudly, and so I look at Wilson, and I said something like this, what did you do? And Wilson decides, okay, I'm in trouble. So he launches out the back of the shopping cart and takes off down the aisle. And I'm saying, come here, come here. Be quiet, Eli. Come here, Wilson. And in that moment, I was the dad in the grocery store with the two kids. Listen, all I'm saying is this, that my judgment years earlier of that mom, your judgment changes when you walk in someone else's shoes, doesn't it? Just for a little while, just walk in their shoes, and you see them different. When I was in eighth grade, I was um, a typical middle schooler. You know, who you sit with at the lunch table matters a lot in eighth grade, doesn't it? Probably matters in fifth grade and sixth grade and seventh grade, ninth grade, and tenth grade, and eleventh grade. It matters or at least we think it does. And so the lunch table cafeteria time, you have to be real strategic, right? You have to be strategic to either protect or elevate your status or your reputation in the cafeteria. So I can remember sitting with my group of friends at our cafeteria table, and I can remember a new kid who started school that year. I don't know his name, unfortunately. But I know he was overweight, he was awkward, and I didn't want him sit at my lunch table. One day, he um, he started to sit down at our lunch table, and it was two seats down from me. And I turned around, and in the moment, I said, "Hey, bud, sorry, that seat's taken." So I watched him get up and just quietly move somewhere else and eat by himself. A few weeks later, I noticed that kid wasn't at school anymore. I don't know where that kid went. I don't even know his name. What if I had just made space? What if I had just made space and said, hey, sit down with me? That's what a follower of Jesus would do. person who believes in Jesus would say sit down at my table because I see you the way God sees you because my life has been changed today I want to challenge you it's just simple as this seek the truth of God because in a world where it's hard to know what is true Jesus is the source of your truth. God's word is the source of your truth. Don't settle for ignorance. Don't settle for someone else's version of the truth. And don't just rely on what you think you know. Trust what God says and seek that and let it change your life. And then I'm going to give you a second challenge and it's this. This week, just take one opportunity not to avoid somebody that you may normally avoid. Maybe it's somebody God has already placed in your life or somebody God will put in your path this week. But what if you make space for them? What if you just see them as more valuable than you ought to see? What if you invite them to your table? You see, sometimes prejudices are most overcome in our dinner table. What if you invite somebody who's very different from come and just eat dinner with you. That's what a follower of Jesus would do. Will you pray with me? God, this morning I know that I'm so passionate about this because God, I I feel it. God, I've failed at it. God, there's a reason James writes this to us. Because we, your people, ought to look different. We ought to be bridge builders. We ought to be people who love more than anyone else on the planet. God, lift up our eyes. Overcome our ignorances. Help us be people of light and hope and love. Help us make space for people who are on the sidelines. In Jesus' name.